back to another special episode of Epic Experiment Podcast. It's episode 111. I'm your host, Bruce, and I'm joined on the line once again by Lux. Lux, how are you now? I am doing just fine. Now, my friend, how is Texas this fine day? Is it very, very sweaty? Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> like, what did you hit for a daytime high today? And well, for today, in I think the, the highest it got was like ninety-seven. Oh God! Yeah. Oh, like I don't even know what ninety-seven translates to in Fahrenheit, but Fahrenheit tells me it is thirty-six. That's is that now. Was there humidity on top of that, or was it pretty dry? I mean, it was a little humid this morning, but in the as the day it got dry. At least that's better, because, I mean, on the weekend, it got stupid, stupid sticky here. Like, I think it was... Oh, yeah, no, they, it, re- they, it reached 100 and, like, 304 in it during the weekend. Oh, God. Ugh. Okay, so Texas is hot. Uh, note to self, don't go to Texas in the month of June or July, because I probably wouldn't wouldn't last. Are you telling me the worst to co- is yet, yet to come? Like, your August is worse? Yeah, and like down here in Texas, like August is usually the hottest month. Oh my god! I think, yeah. I think by August we're we're starting to taper off a bit, and like so it's way more pleasant. Um, it's not cold, but like it's still like it's still summertime, but it's a little it's a little bit more pleasant. Oh man, Ugh. I don't know if I could handle ninety seven degrees. And like you're pretty much you're telling me that there there are zero buildings without air conditioning, right? Like every building, every building's got to have it. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> that's so. That's anyway. All right. Good times. All right. Yeah. Um, we're also joined on the line by yet another friend of the show. We're joined this time by my brother George. George, how are you tonight? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Happy to be here. Good to have you here on the show tonight. Now, George. Uh, you went camping on the weekend, and George and I are in the same neck of the woods up here in Ontario. Uh, how was the camping? How was the camping voyage uh, in in that high that high temperature? You know, we avoided overheating by spending lots of time in the lake and spending time in the shade. Um, my two small children are basically like little jellyfish, as in they're pasty white and they need obscene amounts of sunscreen. So that was a uh, you know. Uh, abused a little bit this weekend but anyways um it's more the trick of getting two-year-olds and three-year-olds to sleep in a tent that became the issue but um anyways that's that's another story but it uh, did not go particularly well no i'm going to encounter this uh this phenomenon in about two weeks when i go camping with uh well our with our with our sister and and her family uh george because uh we're going to try and go to bon echo and uh see if we can uh Get my daughters to sleep in a tent, which may result in very early bedtimes for daddy. So, because they're not going to stay in the tent on their own, I imagine. I would just give up on trying to get them to bed at their time, go to whenever it's dark, and then get to bed with them. So earlier than normal for you, but not. don't try to get them into the tent at a normal time. No, it'll be way too bright. They won't, they won't handle it. So, totally. yeah, I might have to just accept the fact that they'll be up later than normal it's that afternoon nap that's the hardest part right because they they they're good they still need an afternoon nap 
Oh, yeah. that's not going to happen, my friend. Well, they might, but it'll be short, right? So, <laughs> sure. I, I like. I mean, they 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 when previously when we had we had gone camping, they would nap. But uh, anyway, we will see how it goes. Anyway, um, but that's that's the joys of having small children and camping trips. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, we should have, we haven't we can do a whole episode on like how to trick your toddler to sleep. All right. <laughs> I'm sure you've got many creative stories of trying to convince your children to go go to bed. Lots, <laughs> but that's not tonight. That's like like the epic experiment: how to get your child to sleep episode. But that'll have to come another time. Sounds good. A little bit of uh, housekeeping here, folks. Um, if you like what you hear on the show, you can find the show. All of our shows are available at thelowestcouncil.com, uh, free and available for you to listen to at your leisure and enjoy. Um, you can also find all sorts of other great uh, content over at thelowestcouncil.com. Uh, you can find, bo- they recently had a number of box breaks um, through, the, through the Twitch channel. They, so Judge Liam, who you will hear that episode coming, but I haven't posted it yet. Uh, post- episode 110 is on its way. But uh, So Judge, Judge Liam has been doing some box breaks. Um, the Discord is a great place for lots of interesting topics of discussion magic and some not magic you can find uh sona posting youtube videos about uh daxi's built and janky wants to play so lots of great things to find uh and it's all free so you can access it all it doesn't cost you anything um and they're all really friendly so come on in say hi uh and and see it for yourself check it out and uh come and join the community all right also as uh, an extra goodie we've hit episode 110 so it's time for a new giveaway. So our, our next giveaway is going to be for what Lux? What lucky prize have we found uh, in the box of box of stuff to give away? A foil and bootlegger stash. Ooh, Ooh. yeah, baby. So check out the end of the episode. We're going to let you know how you can put get your name in the drop to win a foil bootlegger stash. That's that's no slouch. I'm not I'm not up on the stock or price of that anymore. I'm going to go to stocks. We're going to find out. Um, but I think we're going to see bootlegger stash is still reasonably pricey. So if you want the foil, you're paying you're getting it for like twenty bucks. So if you like free twenty dollar bills mailed to your house. Yeah, Get, just stick around to the end of the show and find out how you two can be entered. Okay, with that all done, let's move on. So we got our show in three segments tonight. So we're going to talk a little garbage or great. Uh, then we'll talk about some of the Double Masters 2 previews, of which there are a whole pile of sweet, sweet cards being reprinted. And then we'll talk about, I thought we'd talk about some pet cards. Kind of make it fun, a little light. Um, talk about some some things that we all like to do that... Uh, you know, they may not necessarily be the most popular strategies or popular cards to include, um, but our, keep making our decks. So that'll be our segment three, and then we'll hop on out of here and let you guys get on the rest of your life. All right, so let's get on with Garbage or Great. So tonight, our Garbage and Great is Saddle of the Cavalier, which is from uh, Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. It is two and a green for artifact equipment. Equip for three, and it says equip creature gets plus three plus three and can't be blocked by creatures with power three or less. Um, because this is so new, 
what do we think of this sort of card? Is this card any good? Are people sh- sh- are people trying to find a way to sneak these into play? What do you guys think? I think this is probably going to lose out on the fact that its equip cost is too high. Um, the effect is good. You know, I guess it depends on your meta. But if you knew you were playing against a lot of token decks or a lot of, you know, weenie style decks that go wide, then obviously this is going to hurt. It kind of removes the chump block option for your creature, which is which is pretty good. Um, if it could can be if it could be combined with tramplers or other effects, and obviously that benefits it or flyers. But but the three mana to to drop it into play and then three mana to equip. It's definitely a little steep, and there's equipment that are available for less than that that would be probably as game-altering. So, I don't know. Or at the same, convert a mana cost and have more impact. Like, Correct. Like, like if you're going Any to, sword. Yeah. Like I'm thinking this competes with a sword, sort of X and Y, and like swords probably trump this because they provide protection, evasion, and... Some sort of de- nasty trigger when they connect. So, yeah, uh, Lux, what do you think? Saddle of the Cavalier. Are you are you jamming this? Are you playing this in your new red green um, modified deck? I was gonna say it is green. It, it is. And like I might like this is one of those cards that I'm like gonna be on the fence about because and they they since it's new I'm gonna have to see it and play first. Yeah. See, I'm not sure like. Okay, so here's my thought on this card, and I sort of am echoing what George is coming back to. That for me, the real the, the real deal breaker is the equip cost, right? I I will pay three mana for an artifact. If the equip cost is one or two, I'm probably in for it if it's good. This is going to make you know imagine like turning your you know your grizzly bear into into a into a now into a five five that's going to really can tussle with somebody. Um, uh, so that that three mana equip cost is what, what you know tri- like tricks me up here or trips me up. Like I'm not a big fan. However, we had the green red um, modified deck that come up with Shashiro, and so you could be playing this for some additional value there. Um, you could be leaning into um, ways to reduce casting. Uh, sorry, equip costs. Which um, so you're playing a green white um, ability where you're like or deck where you're looking to like play lots of equipment and reduce the the the, act, the activation cost and the equip. Like there are ways where I could see this being played. And at 25 cents, if you are a budget commander player and you're looking to to sort of keep your your wallet in in control, so you're not overspending. Because like let's be real, as much as this is competing with a sword. The swords are all significantly more expensive. Like we're talking multiples of times more expensive than this one. Even the worst sword. <laughs> so if you're a budget player and you're looking to get this, but keep your deck at whatever the price point, 100 bucks, 150 bucks, you may have to resort to some equipment like this um, in order to make sure you can dedicate your funds into those high impact cards elsewhere. Um, so. I'm kind of coming out in the sense that, in the fence that probably most decks are not going to run this, but there are definitely a, a number of circumstances where this could get played. Um, 
Now, right now, it's only available in, it's only being played in 49 decks. So, obviously, most people are of the opinion that this is not really a high-priority target. But I think there are going to be, there will be budget players, whether it's, you know, someone keep, like, looking for a placeholder or looking for something that's going to, you know, not cost the deck too much, um, that this is going to get utilized um, to some reasonable degree i mean it's never going to be an auto include but it's not it's not embarrassing like it definitely it definitely does something and if you're going to play it in like that ayara deck with the the green mother bear that fights stuff like this like might go right in there or wilson or like wilson the other bear commander like that's where sort of i'm thinking this sort of goes and it might it might be one of those sneaky good cards to make your bears not just be trash but make your bears into something that can tussle and 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 do some damage so you have to be able to cheat the equip cost somehow or else yeah you do it once you get annihilated by whatever removal spell somebody has and then it's just too expensive to start redoing that every turn Um, if you can cheat it i'm fine i don't i guess i'm just discouraged that it's mono green like it's a mono green card why why couldn't it just be three um generic yeah that's a fair point i mean i don't know why that is what 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 there is in the design choice to make make this card specifically green um it's probably a cycle yeah that's color, color specific artifacts but i don't like it i mean if it was anything other than that it would go there's a lot of white decks that would not pair with green potentially that would be Maybe in the market for this effect. I won't say lots of white decks. Some white decks might be in yeah. the market for this yeah. effect if it was not including green. Yeah, if it was just a colorless artifact, I think like you would see the utilization rate probably go up and it tie into a lot more decks. Um, because like, you know, SRAM might play it or you know, you could reduce the casting cost with the through a variety of means. So the thing is, green isn't lacking fat creatures. No, it's not. That's, and this is making it fat. And it, yes, it does gain some evasion, but it's not even it's, um, it's not even that evasive, right? Like you're like no, like you you're still going to run into that big Eldrazi they have, and that may not be the like that's like that's not an improvement. So yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, it's it's definitely lackluster in many regards, and so I probably I'm probably. If you had to give me this card and say play it, I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. It's probably trash. But I can definitely conceive of situations where I would look for this to build it, and it's usually a budgetary constraint. I'd like to like bash face with it for a bit, then fling it at the opponent, like fling the creature at them. Because oh. there's a lot of stat buff. Yeah, yeah. 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 Zyatora. Mmm. Zyatora. Mm-hmm. Fling it. And then get to, and then you get to suit suit up a new thing with the three treasures you made. Yeah, that's that's not a terrible. And the three treasures, yeah, the three treasures definitely paying for it, and it makes it. Anyways, there's potential use there. Uh, but. Yeah, but you need to have your commander, you need to have your Zyatora, you need to have another creature, and you need to have this, and that feels like a lot of asking, a lot to ask in some games. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I think we're all sort of coming down on the side of like this is kind of on the garbage side of things. It's kind of like. Mm, yeah, no. Not really down with the whole Saddle of the Cavalier. And, which is, uh, I think, um, a, a not really, a, like, what I think it's speaking to is generally sort of how people perceive much of Baldur's Gate. 
I think there's a lot of people who are sort of unimpressed with the set generally, and this is just further evidence that of of such a of such a sentiment. So anyway, uh, they, they, it just feels weird to that I'm not hyped for a green card. Uh well, I mean, it's a, it's a little off brand for you. I appreciate, but I mean, you also recognize like you would like you ask yourself, would you legitimately play that in a deck? And you're probably saying probably not. Like, there's way better equipment to play. So, like, I think George is onto something there when he said Zayatora, because I like I actually think that could yeah. that might be the best way to do it because you suit up some derpy creature and you 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 attack first. If they block, then you fling it and see if they can deal with it. And uh, I kind of like that thought because. Well, it also, like, kind of, they can't infinitely chump it. If they don't have a big fat blocker that can just stand in the way and not have a problem, then they do have to do something with it at some point. Yeah. And then it, the option to throw it at them definitely helps when you get sort of brick-walled. Yeah. So, I mean, but, you know. It's, so it fits in one deck, two decks. It, it, fits, in a couple, it fits in a couple of decks. Shishiro, <laughs> sure. Zyatora, sure. you know. Yeah. Other poopy decks for sure. Like it's definitely not not a great card. So. Poopy decks. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's move on to segment two and some double masters previews because that's probably more talking the Saddle of Cavalier has ever received in his entire existence now um, on a on any podcast because I have never even heard of the card. <laughs> so. You introduced it to me, man. I've, I've never seen it either. Thank you, Scryfall, the random generator. I'm like, well, that's a new card. I've never seen that one. Let's talk about it. So, uh, all right, Double Masters 2 previews. These are cards we have seen. Um, these are, This is an all-reprint set, folks. Uh, if you haven't been paying attention, where have you been? <laughs> um, this, this is my first question, because this is a set full of reprints. Um, some people are lamenting the fact that it seems to be very commander focused. Um, and there is a strong feel that this is a, uh, a very strongly focused commander set generally. Um, but there are a lot of very expensive cards that are being reprinted. The very expensive cards are being reprinted with new and fancy arts. And there's a lot of expensive boxes that are now out there um, for people to pre-order so that your wallet cries all that much more. So... <laughs> there is no question that this is a Commander product in disguise. Um, yeah. I think the number of reprints that are not Commander-focused, that are meaningful, there's some, but it's not... Compared to like the list, we were just peeling through the the preliminary images of the cards were like so many staples of our format that are just reappearing in a master set after they've just released a commander focus set seems very strange. They're definitely going to the well on the commander players because they know that this is the most popular format for good reason. But you know, there are usually master sets have not focused primarily on EDH. Agreed. And I think they're just leaning into the fact that, we can't help ourselves, and we're putting. They're putting. Of course, they're putting all these like tremendous reprints in here, and they're just saying, "Go ahead, folks, go to ham," because like these. This, this is the. This is the the the, the Commander Legends two that everyone wanted. 
Mm -hmm. This is what this is. Commander Legends 2 is fine. It's an okay set. Um, And there's interesting cards. But I think what I would describe, like, Commander Legends 2, they're interesting or unique. And they sort of allow you to explore more niche, more niche uh, archetypes um, like, like all, and have flexibility with those choose a choose a background and the background cards that go together. So sort of similar to the partner mechanics. So like it's just giving you lots of options, and not necessarily giving you uh, super powerful tools with which to play. Here are the super powerful tools that they obviously like have separated from the the uh, the Commander Legends product. So, let's go through some of the ones that jumped off the page to us as being things that we all dig. So, I sort of figured we'd take turns going through, like, uh, maybe Lux, you want to start with the first one, and then George, and then me. So, work work our way through the list this way. So, uh, what's up first, Lux? What we got? We have Concordant Crossroads. Oh, man. This is a good... One green. This is such an old card. So, folks, like, if you guys have never seen this card, it is old. Go ahead and read it, my friend. This one's got weird text. For one green, you have a world enchantment. All creatures have haste. Isn't that... Now, George, you you remember playing with this card years and years ago because you and I were playing... Yeah. We were kids playing on the basement floor with this stuff. Um, yeah. Like... The text on the old card. Listen to this. Well, have you not? Have you ever wondered if the oracle text of old cards is ridiculous? Creatures can attack or use abilities that include tap in the activation cost as soon as they come into play on their controller's side. That is literally what the old card for Concordant Crossroad reads. Well, I'm very glad they cleaned that up it, because this. Yeah. yeah, that that's a mouthful. <laughs> um, I don't know how I feel about this card. Now, in green, I guess ramping creatures, your all your mana dorks are coming out hot, which is kind of nice. You get you'll be at a bazillion mana before you know it. Um, but your opponents are also getting that benefit too. I guess green is maybe in the position to exploit it the most because you're going to have fatties first. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a double-edged sword. So if you're playing Concordia Crossroads, you're definitely leaning into the idea that. Your stuff is going. You're going. You're a creature heavy strategy, and you're going to likely be looking to get your stuff down and, and get it turned sideways faster. Um, but you, this could definitely lead you just being dead when somebody, you know, pops off, makes a bunch of makes a bunch of like beef, and then just it cracks you upside the head. So it is a double edged sword. It's definitely. I mean, I think it's a pretty cool card. And I just think you need to be yeah. circumspect about where you put it. But yeah, I mean, because like you know me, like I like the idea of all my creatures having haste, but I don't want to give my opponents any ground at all. Agreed. So there'll be lots of people who are going to elect not to, not to run this one. Um, but uh, it's nice to see it back because we haven't had it very frequently. Get we get a reprint. Hmm. You know, it's like it, it was in it was in Legends and Chronicles, and then it didn't see a lot of prints until it got to, it, it did get reprinted in Double Masters. Uh, sorry, Double Masters twenty two. I mean, that's us. Uh, what am I talking about? It gets a reprint now, and it's an other. Otherwise, it's been a secret lair. 
So, like, that's not a lot of printings for a card that is, like, pretty powerful and can do a lot of, can do a lot of damage. So that's a pretty, pretty neat card. Glad to see it back. Go ahead, George, you're up next. So the Consecrated Sphinx is back on the, uh, on the list this time. And if you ever get a Consecrated Sphinx to stick Oops. and last around the table one round, if you are that lucky, you'll understand why this card is uh, getting me excited because who doesn't like to draw cards? And then ultimately, you know, every time your opponents get to uh, indulge themselves in drawing, you get to double that up. Um, it makes for your hand getting very large very quickly. Make sure you've got a reliquary tower or something else that'll stop you from having to discard. But either way, just peeling through your deck, if you can get this to stick, it is uh, pretty epic to watch it go. Yeah, this 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 one, if you've ever seen it stick, it is a problem. And it's not even that the 4-6 body with flying is particularly the problem. It's the fact that your, your opponent's going to out-resource you real fast. So... Um, I'm looking at it here in Scryfall, like, it's, you can get it now for about 35 bucks, whereas some of the other versions of it, you can, are, are still around 45 so, the fact you can find it at a, at a more reasonable price point is much appreciated, because this card is gas, this card is excellent, um, and if you are new to the game, uh, putting one of these in your deck is gonna immediately jump the power level significantly if you can stick this thing for any length of time. Woo! I can see, I can definitely see this fitting in with Ravine. Oh, Ravine would love this card. Oh my gosh, yes. Like, this is the, like Ravine and this Sphinx are friends. They're buddies. They want to go play. Because you're just going to draw all the goodies and your opponents are going to be looking at you with envy because they don't get to draw nearly half the cards. So, anyway. Um, and see, like the best part, yeah. Like the best part is that since you know, like the strategy that I use is that I pair the and like, like their hand and the, like the obscure mechanic with surveil, like I can control my draws. Yeah, that that would be this would be a, a real good inclusion in that Rafine deck we we've uh, talked about on this show now for a number of weeks. So, um, Lux, if you open one, uh, like clearly Rafine and the Sphinx are, are good buddies, but yep. jam those together. Up next, we have uh, the, uh, the one of the most notorious cards that needs to get a reprint because it was only ever printed in Commander 2019, and ever since it's just watched the price tag climb and climb and climb. We're talking about none other than Dockside Extortionist. Um, that this is the one that when Dockside Extortionist enters the battlefield, create X treasure tokens where X is the number of artifacts and enchantments your opponents control, where this is, you know, making you probably a healthy number of treasure tokens um, and then allowing you to ramp. I, I Now, the question becomes, is Dockside alone enough or do you want to blink your Dockside and get more value out of it? I don't know. No, obviously, if you can blink it, like, go for it. Red red does not really... A lot, it doesn't have a lot of blink itself, but, I mean, you can pair it with blue and make it work. Yes. You might, in a, in a game of Commander, you may get five or six mana off this easily, and that's pretty good. Yeah, it's, 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 it's often enough um, to... 
um, to tip the tip the tide. Usually, that gives you a chance to play, you know, an extra spell or two, which is often enough to really put you ahead into a real firm uh, position. Uh, and the fact that it can be recurred and it can be uh, reutilized again later um, to even greater effect. Um, you know, if you're playing a black red deck, you can you know buy it back from your graveyard. If you're playing a deck that's got any measure of blink, you can do that. Um, you know, you can find lots of ways to return it to your hand and play it again. There's lots of these, uh, lots of the colors will allow you to get extra value out of Dockside, making it even more of a, of a potent tool to really fuel your strategy and, and push you ahead to hopefully seal the deal soon enough. All right. Uh... Oh, My only thing, you know what I say, Bruce? I, I kind of wonder if this is a trap. Personally, I, I saw this and everyone's discussion of this. I mean, there's been random rumors, and obviously, who knows what, what bands will come and whatnot, but I do, you know, I've heard the conversation of Dockside, you know, needing a ban thrown out there. And the chase price on this card is so high that, like, obviously incentivizes people to buy. Um... But if it's heading for an axe, and it's hard because the the EDH rules committee or like you know isn't the same as it's not wizards, so obviously we don't know what wizard. But I I do think there's a bit of a cash grab here, uh, in the sense that they know there's going to be people who are chomping at the bit for this card. But there's a lot of cards on the list, I guess, that are like that. But this one gets more attention than most in terms of a ban discussion. I think you're I think you're absolutely correct. I think the 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 the, the ban risk is real, and uh, you're buying it at at the risk of it getting an axe because yeah, people, especially if it's more prevalent. Yeah, yeah. If it gets adopted more widely adopted than it already is, and you know, you're, you're going to have a real problem and there's going to be a lot of people like, yeah. Cause I, uh, you know, it's going to fall into the same sort of category of like when hull breacher was very prevalent and like people are like, Oh, it's not so bad. And, like if you ever had seen hull breacher go like you, you're, it's bad. bad. This is the same sort of way. If you see this thing go and pop off, like part of the reason it wasn't such a problem is the fact that it was it was reason it was very difficult to get a copy because it was so expensive. So anyway. Yeah. Banned, maybe. We'll see. Uh Alenda, the Dusk Rose. Lux, go ahead. Tell us about Alenda. For two and a white black, you get a legendary creature vampire knight, one one with life blink. Whenever another creature dies, put a plus one plus one counter on Melinda the Duskrows. When Alinda dies, create X one one white vampire creature tokens with lifelink, where X is Alinda's power. I just think she's sweet. I'm glad to see her like get a, get a reprint. She's like, I mean, is she backbreaking? No, but I think she's a, I think she's a a really interesting and uh, uh, it's a really like dynamic commander to put in. If you're looking to play like Orzov tokens, um, you know I really think that like, there's probably the best Orzov token commander we've got, and I think she's really, really, really neat to play. And the fact that you've gone and fixed how that death trigger works, so that now you can still get the the, the advantage, whereas once upon a time you would have had to let her go to your graveyard instead of your command zone, before, so you wouldn't get the dies trigger. So you, now you'd have to, like an extra layer of hoops to jump through to turn all like, to, to leverage her advantage. But anyway, I I like the card. It's it's not like it's not game breaking in, in nearly the same way as 
a Sphinx or an Extortionist is, but it's just a, a an interesting commander to run. George? So, Men of Alt is getting a reprint that um, that is needed. They, you know, the price on this card continues to climb. And uh, for good reason, it, um, if you haven't seen Mana Vault in action, it is a um, artifact that uh, costs one mana, and then it has a clause that doesn't untap during your untap step, but you uh, tap it for three mana, or three generic mana, and then uh, you can pay four at any point to untap it. Or sorry, sorry, that's well, not true. I mean, if you upkeep, the upkeep. And then if it uh, stays untapped or stays tapped during your draw step, you lose a, you take a damage. Um, so the the I mean, having killed myself enough with mana crypt, um, <laughs> the mana vault doesn't have quite the same drawback. The one damage isn't that costly. If you have one big turn where you really need to you know ramp out uh, something huge, it can be a game breaking sort of play. And then the, the the downside to not untapping it isn't that bad. Um, when the turn comes that you you finally can you know spare the four mana to do it, well you you go ahead and untap it. But it really it's that like, explosive turn. Uh, you know, imagine like Dark Ritual. It, it it has a very potent effect when used in the right timing. Um, and it's not its downside on this one isn't so bad. So I mean, obviously it's a card that that has a a very high ceiling. Um, and the downside really isn't all that bad. So I, I'm definitely excited to see this and to get myself um, another copy of it. Absolutely. I, I, you know, everyone sort of says, well, it's not Mana Crypt. And you're like, you're right, it's not. But the card is still very potent. Uh, like you say, timing's a little bit more crucial on that one. Um, and there's lots of cool commanders that want to, you know, utilize it. Uh, I'm looking at them now. Most of them are the partner commanders because I think those are the ones that tend to be um, more competitive in focus. But um, but yeah, you can even also other ways to untap yeah, it. There's other ways to untap it, or you just play, play it with Kinnon and like you just go kind of crazy. Laugh. Yeah, you giggle. So anyway, the the thing is, I I like Mana Crypt. I think. You know the uh, command zone guys have talked about it too. You know, mana crypt is great, and don't get me wrong, it's explosive, but it it also can kill you. And, and you, Bruce, you've watched yep, me yep. do that. Um, um, it, it's uh, the drawback on this one isn't so bad. Like I like, I really like this card. I'm I'm really excited to see it uh, pop up Excellent. in more decks. I agree. Next, we have Vidalcan Orrery, the one that Josh Lee Kwai has made popular on Command Zone and has driven the price ups um, year over year over year. Um, this one's real simple, folks. Uh, you may cast spells as though they had flash. If you've ever played with a Leyline of Anticipation or cards with flash, you know the, the ability is very potent. Here we get it back, and uh, it's going to get lots of play. So, great card. Good to see it back. Make a price a little more reasonable on it. Um, again, instead of seeing the price creep up over, over the years. So, yeah. Not much else to say. Like, it's just a good card. Like, it's... You know, so. All right, Lux, we have an Oracle of Moldaya next. Go for it. For three and a green and creature Elf Shaman 2-2. Two, two. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Play with the top card of your library revealed. You may play a land from the top of your library. Uh, if you're in green, this is just everything you want it to do. Like, it's just, 
yeah. it's an elf. You can play extra lands. You can you it simulates card advantage because you can take thing. You can play your lands on the top of your deck. You can get to your gas more rapidly. Like there's nothing this card. Like you're, there's no reason not to want to play this card. So and the ultimate elf ball staple. Yeah, well, not just elf ball. Any like mana ramp, big mana ramp deck would love this card. So this gets lots of play in commander. It's good to see it back. The price will be reasonable again for a while. It's going to creep up again. Like it's just a good card. I'm pretty sure the the the, the game's going to mop this up, and then the price is going to get expensive again. But in the meantime, we can actually play with our oracles. So <laughs> there we go. Okay, go ahead, George. What's next? So yeah, another one that needs a big reprint is Smothering Tithe. Yeah. Um, you know what we. You see, white is be getting more and more tools to stay competitive, and this is one of the big ones. That um, it's a four mana enchantment that uh, when an opponent draws a card, that player may pay two generic. If the player doesn't, you create a treasure token. So obviously, it's ramp. It's uh, most lots of games you're going to end up amassing a bit of a treasure army for yourself, and uh, in white, that is a huge. A huge advantage, so um, I, I definitely am happy to see this card come back. I'm uh, hoping the price will will drop for a little period of time where I can pick up a couple. Yeah, because yeah. um, like I have to admit that Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance they had some pretty some pretty spicy cards. Yeah, they, they did for sets that seemed um, on the outset on the outset uh, like a little lackluster. There was definitely some really powerful inclusions right there. Um, I will just say with this particular card, like folks. Like, this card is, I, I've seen it enough times. Usually it's a problem um, because it's a, it's a, it, it is a combo enabler because people can chain together uh, ways to draw a pile of cards. Like, this plus wheels is a problem because they make you wheel, then you, like, you pitch your hand, draw seven cards, they make 21 mana, and then you're... Like and a fresh and a fresh seven, you're probably in trouble. So, um, it's which is I'll be honest, it's kind of an unappealing play pattern. But anyway, um, so anyway, just saying. Yeah, there's definitely abuse. The the abuse factor is there. It can be abused. Badly. I was gonna say blind obedience, maybe your new best friend, making those things come into play tapped. Just saying. Yeah. Um, up <laughs> next, we have a Teferi's Protection. Um, two and a white, instant spell. Until your next turn, your life total can't change, and you gain protection from everything. All permanents you control phase out, and then you exile Teferi's Protection. Um, this is, you know, sort of the preeminent white protection card where like, you you don't want to have your, your board wiped? Okay. You don't want to have the Alpha Strike end your night? Okay. Um, you know, there are so many things that this can... You know, facilitate and protect you from that. Um, it is, it's top dog, and there's no, there's no doubt about it. So, it's good, and it's uh, good, good to come back to help and keep the price uh, a little more under control. So, anyway, test protection is very strong. All right, Lex, Lex, what we got here next? We have Aurelia the Warrior oh Boy for two, two red, two white. Legendary Creature, Angel, 3-4. Flying, Vigilance, Haste. Whenever Aurelia the Holy Litter attacks for the first time each turn, untap all creatures you control. 
after this phase, there is an additional combat phase. She's sweet. Like, she's six mana in Boros, but she's sweet. So, welcome back, Aurelia. Good heavens. Yeah, like, even better that, like, in Gil's Ravnica basically introduced, like, card draw and mana ramp for Boros. Yeah. They've thrown Boros some, a few bones lately. This is a, a nice Indeed. one. Indeed. What do we got next? Food oh. chain. So, yeah, I feel like we talked about Smothering Tithe being uh, abusable. This is also uh, fairly abusable. Um, you know, the, the three mana enchantment that um, text reads, exile a creature you control, add X mana of any one color. Uh, where X is 1 plus the exile creature's mana value. Spend this mana only to cast creature spells. So, you know, getting, whether it be value creatures or combo pieces, um, this has a potential to tutor through your deck. Yes, at the cost of a creature, but your deck's built around that um, to find the pieces you need to win the game. And um, it's very good. Indeed, it's, uh, it's, it is well known as a combo piece so uh yeah um up next we have imperial seal this card hasn't been printed in a very long time um it has a portal three kingdoms printing that is you know getting close to two thousand dollars there's a judge promo from 2016 and then this printing so it's expensive um right now it looks like it's pre-selling for 350 bucks for the regular non-foil version so, one black mana, sorcery, search your library for a card, then shuffle, put that card on top. You lose two life. Um, yeah, this, there's really no reason this should be $350, though, is there? Like, it's just, it's just artificial no. scarcity that has been, like, well, not necessarily artificial, but I guess scarcity produced by the fact that this card is so old. So, anyway, card is... So this is Vamp Tutor at yeah, Sorcery it's, Speed. It's, and Vamp Tutor is thirty-five yeah. bucks, but it's also more, yeah. printed a bunch of times. So this, this, if this gets some more reprints, I imagine it'll be a thirty-five to fifty-dollar card. But the reason it's so high right now is because there's like no printings of it. So if you can get a copy of it, um, you could be in the money, perhaps. All right, next we have Menadrain. And for two blue, you get an instant counter-target spell at the beginning of your next main phase. Add an amount of in a, a generic mana equal to that spell's mana value. This is just like one of the top counter spells in the format. So here it is. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's very, very good. good. So if you find if if you want to play counter spells, you sort of start with like force of force of will, force of negation, followed by mana drain. And maybe Swan Song. Like those are the four that I go like I would sort of put up there as the top four counter spells. Um and this is just excellent. So yeah. How much else to say? I'm forgetting what's the other one, Fierce Guardianship oh, yeah, or whatever it's the be there too, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it'd be high on that list too. But yeah, it's definitely in a premier premier class of, you know, where there's a umpteen counter spells out there, but this yeah, is one, one of the of best. For sure. Um, then we have Damnation. So this is a 
a bit of a spoiler alert for later. But anyways, I, I really like Damnation. I love the fact that uh, Black gets a clean uh, piece of board wipe. That Obviously, Black has a couple others, but um, yeah, it's just a sweet card, and uh, I'm excited to see it reprinted, and I, I definitely want to play it against you, Bruce. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much. It's, oh, it's, it is an excellent card, and uh, it's good to see it getting a reprint again. Because um, every time they print it, the, the price seems to keep crack. It doesn't really come down that far, and then it starts creeping back up again. So good to see it get get another price check to make sure that uh, it's still available to players if they really want to get a uh, damnation. Because I often end up playing Crux of Fate instead because it's just cheaper. Um, next we have T- Sensei's Divining Top. Oh, uh, an excellent card. Um, you do need to know what you're doing with it. Because so it's one mana, an artifact, and then one, look at the top three cards of your library, put them back in any order. So if you're not real sure of the line of play for your deck, you can waste a lot of time reordering the top of your library. Um, so people need to be, if you're going to run top, you need to be familiar with what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and also the ability to tap, draw a card, then put Sensei's Divine Top on top of its owner's library. So you end up replacing the card on top of your deck with your with your top. Um, this ends up being a really potent com- uh, uh, a combo with Bulls of Citadel. So you're just going to use it. And like this, Bulls of Citadel and Aetherflux Reservoir just go ham and um, will often win, get you a win one way or the other. So, um, but yeah, good card. <laughs> good, good. Glad to see it back. Yeah. Otherwise, if you don't have bullets to settle, you have to pair it with shuffle yeah. effects because it's nice to reorder your deck, but if you can't do anything about that order, it's like brainstorm locking yourself where you've brainstormed, but you, you can't do anything about that top of your deck. You need to be able to shuffle. So fetches, whatever you got, that'll get you to shuffle your library will be um, essential Absolutely. if you're using senses. Absolutely. Properly. All right, what's next? We have Panor Harmonicon for four generic artifact. If an artifact or a creature entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, and that ability triggers an additional time. Like, this is just like... If you've never tried to play with this, this mist makes you a giddy, giddy, giddy child. You cast your mull drifter and just laugh. You play your whatever. It doesn't even matter. Just just a giddy school child. <laughs> you should go and watch video clips online of like Saffron Olive, just even in f- formats where he's playing constructed, just giggling his head off as he plays this card. It is it is pretty fun. It, 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 it may not win you. It may not win you the game. And good. Boy, oh boy, is it fun. <laughs> boy, oh boy, is it fun. Yes. Um, next, yes. George, we got... So we've got another combo enabler. Seems to be the theme. Uh, we've got Phyrexian Altar, which is um, a three-mana artifact that uh, sacrifice a creature and add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So this is priced now... Uh, it's pre-selling at $47 or something. Down, you know, which is... Um, it's still a big price tag. It's it's definitely a degenerate card in terms of trying to combo. It doesn't really have a lot of other meaningful use as far as I'm aware. Um, but if you want a combo, 
It's a great way sure to do is. it. Sack some, sack some dudes, make some mana, and then do the thing. Whatever the thing is going to be. So, anyway, lots of great cards there. Um, that And there's more. Like, there's sets jam-packed full. Um, like we talked about earlier, like, potentially the only drawback here is just the raw price tag of packs. Like, and, and, or of the, of, the, of the product. It's just, it's very prohibitively expensive. Um, so if you are someone who's a little bit squeamish about spending big dollars on on magic stuff, then you know you may want to be very selective of what singles you buy, or you know you may want to put your dollars elsewhere. So you know that's just just the thing. So I don't know what they're selling for in Canada right now. Like if I were to like, they're pretty expensive though, right there, George? Too much. I don't actually well, know. Let's go have a uh, look at face to face games. I, I anticipate I anticipate being able to tell you what the price I paid for yeah, when I buy one. Let's but, go see. Um, Pre selling four hundred bucks VIP boost. That's VIP booster. The draft boosters are four fifty. Yeah, like so double box, like, like a booster box at four fifty. Can... Oh, wow. So, I don't. I don't think if if I end up buying one of those, I'm not telling the wife. Yeah, no, sure. no. And the and the collector VIP box <laughs> is only four packs, so you're spending like that's. I know. hundred bucks a pack. Ooh. Anyway, lots of lots of money there. Now that's a Canadian dollars, there, folks. I know some of you are in the United States or live elsewhere, um, but in Canada, it's like four hundred and fifty dollars Canadian for a booster box. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I know our yeah. our money looks funny and is not worth the same as, as American dollars, but it's still a lot of money. <sighs> yeah. All right. Let's let's move on to segment three. Unless there's more cards, is there anything else people want to you know throw out there from Double Masters here, or can we uh, carry on? No, it's a great set. I think it's a it's a good commander product. For sure. <laughs> It's not commander it's product, commander but it's commander product. product. There's, no, there's no other way to put it. Like, there's so many commander cards. All right, let's talk about some pet cards. Um, I know that everyone out there playing commander is part of the like has got their pet cards. Um, cards that uh, I actually. What do you think? What was when I say a pet card? What do you think I'm talking about? Like, what does that mean to you? Because I know, I know, like to me, it might mean one thing, but what do you think a pet card is to you? When you're building a deck, Lux. Wait, wait. Well, how would you describe a pet card? And to me, like it's a card that you know, like you really enjoy playing, and like when you're brewing a deck, like you try to find some way of fitting it in that deck. That's I think that's pretty pretty reasonable. Does that sort of fit what you do, George? Is that like how you think of a, your a pet card? Is that you just? I think for the purpose of the discussion today, that's how I viewed it. Like, you know, what's the card I, I really try to squeeze in, even though there may be a choice that you'd be like, that might be a little stronger, but this card, I really just want to get it in there. That's kind of how I viewed this conversation. Although when I, when I think about a pet card, I do think of sort of like a bad card. Like, why are you playing that on your yeah. deck? What are you doing? Yeah. You know, but, and this isn't necessarily what I'm talking about. I, I mean, we may be a slightly less efficient deck by by including some of our pet cards, but they're not necessarily bad cards. Yeah. But anyways, I agree with Lux, though. Something you like playing, you really get a, a joy out of having it hit the table. And Well, so I, and, and then I think you guys have touched on, like, why do you think it's important to include your pet cards in Commander? Like, I know 
there are there are people out there that play CDH where the list is prescri- is pretty prescribed. It doesn't really deviate, and you don't really have the space to play a card that is not, you know, right there at, at the forefront of being the most competitive card in the game. But I'm pretty sure that like the rest for people who play, you know, a more casual variant of Commander, like pet cards are kind of important part of the game because. To my way of thinking, part of what makes Commander appealing is the personalization of your deck. What makes your deck yours? And some of it could be the art you pick. Some of it could be the mana base, like where all the you have all the same art on the on the lands. Sometimes it's you know you have a, a theme that is uniquely yours. But sometimes it's just be like I put the same five cards in whenever I get a chance. And so that's part of what allows me to personalize my deck um, and not just run a stock list that I find on EDH rack. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's important that as you, you derive pleasure from it. Like you, you, you're happy when you, when you draw that card, you're like, Oh, sweet. That's something fun. I, I like that card. It's one of my faves. And you know, you, you get, it makes you happy to play that card. Um, and that ge- and also gives you that sense that this is your deck, and not just a random pile of hundred cards you slapped together and sleeved up. So, um, now have like, do you guys like, consciously put cards in, or do you just find that you end up gravitating towards the same sorts of cards? Lux, let's start with you. Let's have a, let's start with, with Lux, and then we'll get to oh, afterwards. So, so Lux. Do you find that you consciously do it, or do you find just find that the the same sort of suite of cards keeps like finding its way in decks you brew up? And honestly, they for me, they you can tell that it's a conscious decision because like, you've seen all the decks that I've brewed. Well, the, I try to they, I try to have like a at least somewhat of a variety. In the cards that I yeah, use, yeah, no, for sure. I, I will remind you, little Lex, like the audience doesn't necessarily see every deck list that you and I brew up every week. Um, some uh, some of our audience may have just joined us tonight for the first time, so um, definitely, uh, I would say with you, Lex, that like there is some some conscious element to the through the thought, um, because you often find, uh, I find in your list, there's a similar, there are some similar characteristics in many of your decks. So I can imagine there's a conscious thought process that gets applied in that state, in that sense. George, what about you? I, I think mine's more an unconscious process where I, when I'm thinking of a deck, I'll start to just pile up cards and I'll make a big stack. And then I'll start to look through and I, I you know, you get, you get whittling out cards gradually. And I, in my stack will be my pet cards. And I really have to, sort of rein myself in and go, does this really fit the theme of the deck? Does this really going to deliver? And and I find myself, you know, trying to talk myself out of them. And I, and I realized that only after the fact where I'm like, well, why do I feel like I really want to put this in my deck? And I, and I just have an affinity for it. Um, but I have to like consciously talk myself out of it. If I'm trying to build a deck that's designed to be synergistic and, you know, um, 
But then it's funny because that card will then go back into my like bigger stacks or boxes of cards, and it always ends up near the top, and it gets pulled out again for the next deck, and I want to uh, slot it in that one too. Um, I think for me, things that I often lean into, and like we'll talk about like the cards on my my sort of some of my pet cards, they're cards that sort of fill a role in the deck, and I'm looking for something that is um, sort of fits a number of te- check boxes. So for instance, let's talk about I have one of the cards on my list of my pet cards is Archaeomancer. And Archaeomancer shows up in a lot of my decks. Actually, a disproportionate number of my blue decks all have an Archaeomancer in them. They probably also have a way for me to blink the Archaeomancer because I'm looking or 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 to recur it in some capacity. Because obviously in my own brain, I've built in this idea that I want to derive additional value from it. So um I want uh, whatever spell may be, and I want to I want to play something again. And Archaeomancer is very affordable as far as a card goes, um, in a single singular color, so it fits in lots of a wide variety of decks, and does what I want it to do in terms of allowing me to recur something. So like something like like that is is it's not so much intentional in the sense of like it's a pet card because I like the card's fun or cool. It ends up oftentimes serving a purpose of like, an, and there, there's probably more efficient cards than Archaeomancer for doing this, but it fits the bill in the sense that it's readily available, reasonably cheap. fills the purpose that I want it to, I want it to fill, even if it's not the most efficient way of doing it. So, you know, that's why like Archaeomancer's Archaeomancer is there. Um, similarly for me, like I have pull from tomorrow as probably the most common mass card draw spell that appears in my decks. So if I, I could, I could run blue sun Zenith, but I often end up running pull from tomorrow because it's just a little bit on the cheaper side. So I find like there's like, it serves a purpose. And then the price point often ends up dictating that this is the sort of card that ends up my deck. Um, same thing with like solemn simulacrum like when i play solemn like i'm looking to often it's because there's a value component to it um that i'm looking for so it's it's not i'm not sure it's truly intentional if i had a better option than the solemn simulacrum at a price point that was comparable i probably would run it but when there isn't really anything that is significantly like cheaper or at the same price point does what solemn offers then i'm probably going to lead and lean into solemn simulacrum which is yet another card to fill a void in my deck right does that make sense because yeah. I, I mean it's 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 some it's it's much less exciting as far as like pet cards go now i do have two here that are like legitimately pet cards of mine um i have one deck that exists for the sole purpose of playing villainous wealth I've talked about it here on the show. It's my favorite deck. Um, and all I want to do with it is just play Villainous Wealth as many times as I possibly can. And it's it's not a good strategy. Like, let's be honest. You build a 100-card deck with one card in mind. And the whole premise is to find this card and then to play it as frequently as I can. It's not a good... It's not a winning strategy. But it's what I want to do. Nothing makes me giggle more than like getting somebody with villainous wealth for like eight or ten and then buying it back and doing it again. So 
Um, I love me Villainous Wealth. So I'll read Villainous Wealth because there may be audience people in the audience who have not read Villainous Wealth before. So uh, X, black, green, blue. It's a sorcery. And then uh, card text says, target opponent exiles the top X cards of their library. You may cast any number of spells that with mana value X or less from among them without paying their mana cost. So I love this card because it allows you to like rebuild with your opponent's stuff and you can cast all the things that you reveal. Which is, I don't think they template them the same way anymore, um, but Villainous Wealth is hilarious. And then there's even more joy if you can mill an opponent out with Villainous Wealth so they run out of cards. Mm-hmm. That is just the most fantastic feeling ever. In a similar vein, um, because I like I like things with value, is Containment Construct, which is a real rather new card from Kamigawa, because very frequently I find myself discarding cards for a variety of effects, whether it's Madness, or because I'm playing Thrill of Possibility, or other such effects. Containment Construct is going to be giving me access to them. And I just keep finding myself more and more putting Containment Construct in decks, saying, well, this is going to this pairs well with this effect, or this pairs well with that. And um, and it gives me the, the ability to replay stuff or re- or replay things even though I've technically already discarded them. So anyway, those are my 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 five cards that I sort of identify as being pet cards of mine. Uh, they're not exciting cards. They're not like you know if I told you that I like to play Vorinclex Voice of Hunger, like okay, that would be a I'm a bad person for wanting to play that card all the time, but. <laughs> Um, on top of it, like it's not like none of these things are are super like broken. They're just valuable cards that get that, that allow you to uh, to to play the game and hopefully you know synergize well enough that you they, that you you know stay in the game and get and pull ahead. So anyway, all right, Lux. What about you? What would be some pet cards on your end? Well, and. Like we were discussing earlier, like one of the biggest you know, pet cards that normally finds its way in green decks is like Vulpin Goliath and like the big fox from Theros. I, I laugh when I see this card, Lux, because like, okay, so let's read Vulpin Goliath because you, you, you may not know this card exists, folks. It's four green green for a fox. It's trample. as a 6-5. That's what it says. All the rest of the text on the card is flavor text so um it's not exactly what you would usually associate as being a card that has played in commander but um lux i can tell you now as someone who's recording this, this, this show with lux now for well over two years it is funny when the number of times a vulpine goliath makes his way into lux's lists unabashedly just like i'm gonna run the big dumb fox and it's not even colossal dreadmaw it's not even like the big six six dino. It's a six five fox, and I'm like, all right, like whatever, man. That's why it's your pet card, right, Lux? That's awesome. All yep. right, what's next? What, what else you got? Up next, and I picked Thought Erasure because I I really enjoy this one, especially in Demir. Ah, oh, Thought Erasure. This thing makes me oh. 
Uh, black, blue, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. So it's like it's like bad thoughtsies. But then you get to surveil one, which is also kind of sweet. So, yeah. I think, I think, Lux, that the fact that you like to play this speaks volumes about what sort of person you are, where you're prepared to sacrifice the advantage of advantages gained from like you're playing a table with three opponents. You're going to dedicate this thought erasure to getting one of them, and the other two guys get off scot free. And you're like, no, no, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to cast it anyways. So, like, just speaks volumes about like Lux is like, no, I'm I'm in. I'm just going to get that guy and wreck that Ur Dragon deck and make him throw all the dragons in the graveyard. What's your last one here, Lex? What do you got next? And they, this one, they, it's basically one of our listed hidden gems, like Mnemonic Betrayal. For one, a blue and a black, you get a sorcery. Exile all cards from all opponents' graveyards. You may cast those cards this turn, and it may spend mana as though it were mana of any type to cast those spells. At the beginning of the next, the next instep, if any of those cards remain exiled, return them to their owner's graveyards, and then exile Nomadic Betrayal. <laughs> this is fun. Like if you, if I thought Villainous Wealth was fun, this is just as bad. This is just as heinous. Like, oh dear. The hard part is that the Villainous Wealth you get to dump the mana up front and then cast everything. This is relying on you to oh, have mana sure. left behind. For sure. And believe me, like Lux, I've been in trying to put this in a deck because I really like casting my opponent's things. But it's just it very intensive. It's, 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 it's like Villainous Wealth is almost like on easy mode and Mnemonic Betrayal is like, you've got to work a lot harder to make this one sing, right? Like, What you should do I in do. that deck is have both. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. Well, that solves that problem. I'm that guy. <laughs> So I I I got both. Um, I'm also gonna speak to like I'm gonna let George talk because I'll I'll I some of George's cards appear in my villainous wealth deck, so I'll just let him talk. Well, it goes along with it. We apparently all have at least a component of this in our list, which is funny. Is that as I was crafting my list of things that I of of cards that I really find, um, you know, just speak to me. And it it's always the cards that revolve around me playing my opponent's stuff. So my first card on the list was Thief of Sanity. Um, for those of you who don't know it, it's a three mana, so one generic and a black and a blue, flying 2-2, two, two, that whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you look at the top three cards of that player's library, exile one of them, phase down, and put the rest in the graveyard. For as long as that card remains exiled, you may look at it, you may cast it, and you may spend mana as though it would mana of any color to cast that spell. So you get a choice of the, the best card off the top three. It's not dependent on Thief of Sanity still being alive, so you, just, you can still um, cast it after a thief gets killed. And it's a flyer, so it does get in sometimes, which is which is kind of fun. And I, I just really like casting people's stuff. Um, and that goes into my next card, which is Hostage Taker, which is um, another... A Demir card that's uh, two generic, a blue and a black for a 2-3 human pirate that uh, when it enters the battlefield you exile another target creature or artifact 
until hostage taker leaves the battlefield and you may cast that card for as long as it remains exiled and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to play it so basically it is an oblivion ring style effect but if you can cast it before they can kill it then it'll get it back yeah yeah, yeah no i love I, I, <laughs> a hostage taker in that villainous wealth deck because yeah like anyway just like let's just play your things it's way more fun Um, and then my last one of that genre is Gandhi Lord of Luxury, which is also just if you can play this any blink whatever it's it it's great. It's a four mana, two generic and two black for um, a two three death touch. And when it enters the battlefield, you can look at the top four cards of target opponent's library, exile one of them face down, and put the rest on the bottom of the library. For as long as that card remains exiled, you may look at it, you may cast it, and you may we spend mana, mana of any color see a trend. to cast it. Yeah, it's funny because I'm like, oh, I'm a bad person because these are the cards I want to play so badly. And then you mentioned playing Praetors, and I specifically didn't put Praetors on my list because they're not really like the, you know, they haven't been printed in quite well, at least mainstream printed in quite some time. Um, but I I love me a good Praetor. Any of the non-red ones, basically. Uh, I mean, Elastorn's not that exciting. It doesn't really, I mean, it's, it's, it's good. Whatever. In in Commander is it's good, but in Commander I'm not really that excited about. It, but but Shieldred every black deck I think I have a Shieldred in. Basically any blue deck I have a, a Jinkataxis, and Vorinclex, yeah it's there in every green deck too. And I, I like they're big fatties that cost way too much mana, but I just can't help myself. I just I I want to put a bullet on my own back and just say like come get me. <laughs> um. I love, love it, love it. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, God. Yeah, because it, it it engenders so much rage in the table. People are just like, okay, that's it. They'll kill it, and then they just consist, they just like, after it's dead, they could exile, it's gone. They will continue to attack me because I played it. They don't even care that I'm dying now, and there's other more potent threats on the table. They will just keep hitting me because I I had the gall to play yeah. a Vorinclex. Oh, no, I can imagine that. that Vorinclex uh, usually elicits that response. People do not dig it. Um, it makes people very, very, very rage quitty, and so yes, they, 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 they yes, do exactly. dogpile on top of it. The the next class of cards is actually ones I just consciously just like find myself now in an effort. Well, I guess I'll say but our play group had a habit of having games run long, and uh, we were all sort of agreeing that we'd like to try to finish out some games a bit more in a timely fashion. So I found myself having to talk myself out of playing more board wipes. I, I, I talked about damnation earlier and how excited I am to see it. Um, I am truthfully excited to see it, but um, I. Uh, I just uh I just really want to board wipe everybody all the time I, uh, nonstop. I could uh, and that also I could attest uh, that having nice played many games with George um I find my board my board state vanishes very 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 readily uh, and then um I, there have been more than a few games where I get board wiped and I go oh now I'm dead in the water and I don't go anywhere. So that's the thing that happens. And then the the last one is a, a new a new found pet card that I I mean it's not for every deck but if you can make it go wow is it fun as Thousand Year Storm I uh, I have a, a Galazeth Prismari deck that 
has a bunch of wheel effects and you know it's it's kind of funny to sift your deck at like mock speed copying wheels um <laughs> the card makes a, a real a real interesting game and it it does draw out your turn a bit but uh man is it funny that's all i got to say no <laughs> I'm a, no, I'm a terrible not, person but you have a propensity to do things that make me cry so <laughs> As I sit behind my computer screen and weep tears into my beer because my scotch because I'm my my creatures are all dead and George is turboing through his deck and I go oh I am I am now going to die because the locust god has made a million tokens or there's yeah, I'll do oh, it yeah, that, time that'll do anyway it. so yeah oh actually it's fun it's, it's it's a good talk I mean it's nice to everyone's perspective on the whole like the whole like pet card thing because i think there's some interesting choices there um and speaking to personal preferences um for most of us so that's uh i like that it's a good conversation all right we need to uh move to get on out of here because it's getting late uh so anything else that anyone wants to throw in there for pet cards lux george nope right, perfect all right. Oh, I'm good. Um, before we sign out, just remember, uh, if you'd like to get your name entered into the uh, the draw for that bootlegger stash we talked about, um, so tonight is uh, the night of Monday, June 27th. Uh, we will be um, having the competition or the, the the draw open. You can get your name enter- entered as far as um, Sunday, June 17th, and after that, we'll be announcing the winner uh, the week of uh, G- July 18th. So you can get you as far as July 17th is your last chance to get your name in. We'll be announcing the winner of the week of the 18th. So on the show that week, so you too can uh, win a splashy new bootlegger stash to do cool stuff. Uh, what you need to do to enter is you need to, when the, when I post the, the show on Twitter, you need to go, you need to like it, you need to retweet it and you need to include the hashtag, hashtag Epic EXP cast. That way I, I know that, uh, that you are listening to our show and looking to win our prize. All right. So um, that's going to wrap up this week's show. Uh, it's always amazing how much, how quickly like our, our, our time dissipates and just very quickly we're like pushing over an hour now. But uh, it was good to have uh, George on. George, if people wanted to reach out to you and pick your brains about pet cards or um double masters too how would they get a hold of you what could they do um well i am on twitter at uh, at geo gray 88 um that is a definitely way to get in touch with me um i check that regularly i'm also um i mean that's probably the easiest i would say that's that's the best uh place to get in touch with me and we can we can touch a touch base about how i'm a terrible person <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, if you want to reach out to us on twitter and tell us that we're terrible people you can email us at the f experiment podcast at gmail.com uh we we love to get email um even if you're telling us that we are terrible people uh you can find us on twitter at at epic exp cast uh you can also find us on instagram using the same epic exp cast you can find all of our decks from uh, from the show on Moxfield using the look under the username the Epic Experiment Podcast, all one word. Uh, and uh, of course, if you like what you hear on whatever your favorite uh, podcast app, please like, follow, subscribe, leave a comment, whatever. 
every little bit helps to get the word out there, uh, get the algorithms uh, picking us up and spreading us far and wide. So help us out. Um, help us uh, get the word out there that we're here every week talking Commander for you guys and that we uh, love to do so. Uh, next week, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be probably talking some more Double Masters. We'll talk about uh, other fun things that are going on um, but uh, and uh, other happenings in the world of magic. So uh, stay tuned. But until then, this is the Epic Experiment Podcast signing off, wishing you all the best wherever you next play magic. Thanks very much, everybody. Take care. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon.